Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey, this is the last week of this series, and today, as we talk about the kingdom of God, there's going to be two big words that start with R that we're going to use. They're going to be responsibility and reconciliation. And so maybe you need to say that out loud and loudly where you are <laughs> by yourself or at your home, but responsibility and reconciliation. Responsibility and reconciliation. So keep those at the forefront of your mind as we kind of uh, take a journey today through Scripture. See, when I, when I read the, the Bible, and in particular the New Testament, what jumps out at me um, is, is the, uh, the passion that people have who are followers of Jesus. They're unleashed. They're untamed. Uh, they will do whatever it takes to follow him and to see his kingdom expand. Um, I think about Peter and John in prison, you know, and the guards tell them, you be quiet, you quit singing, you quit. And they're like, mm-mm, uh-uh. We will not stop praising God. We will not stop. There's nothing that's going to stop us from spreading the word. Untamed, right? Reckless abandon. The Apostle Paul, right? Beaten, shipwrecked. You know, at times they, they wanted to tear him limb from limb when he was in Ephesus. A friend, he had some good friends that said, don't you dare go back in that arena. Why did he do that? Because he had this passion for helping people discover Jesus Christ. That's what drove him. That's why he planted churches. That's why he said he's willing to give up his life for whatever it takes. The, the apostles, all but... Uh, John were executed, and he, while not executed, ends up on an island in the middle of nowhere by himself. Why? Because he was following Jesus. We see this all throughout. It's kind of a common theme that there's no such thing as half heart, excuse me, half-hearted commitment. It doesn't seem to exist. You don't see any kind of laissez-faire Christian. Now, there are the crowds, but there's not a lot of mention about the crowds. The ones who were truly following right after Jesus. I'm not talking about saying I'm following Jesus, but I'm six miles behind him. I'm talking about they're following Jesus like they would have said in the dust of the rabbi. That was a common saying. You're walking in the dust of the rabbi. In other words, they had the sandals. They had dusty roads. They didn't have paved roads. They didn't have, you know, a lot of rain, of course, in that Middle East region. And so they would walk so close to their rabbi, the dust would come up. And that's what Jesus expects from us. One of my heroes is William Wilberforce. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He, he lived during the late 1700s and the early 1800s. At a, he grew up in a very privileged household and at a young age was elected to parliament. However, during that time, uh, the slave trade in, in uh, England and Europe was huge. They would take the um, Africans out of Africa and they would then sell them into the, to the Caribbean. And history tells us that the conditions for that were just absolutely atrocious. Not only were they ripping people out of their identity, out of their families, out of everything they'd known in an atrocity, right? It just, it's an atrocity. It's, you know, we know what, we've heard what that's like. But then they would chain them in these ships. Uh, they didn't give them much food. A lot of them died by disease. Um, in fact, about 35,000 to 50,000 slaves every year were brought to the Caribbean. Um, little water, like I said, little food. 
no restrooms. They relieved themselves right where they, where they were. Uh, many, in fact, didn't even survive the ship um, voyage across the sea. They died before they even got there. It's been said that the Navy sailors uh, would say that up to 10 miles before they could reach land, people would smell the boats coming, 10 miles, because the stench of death, the stench of, of um, sickness, etc., was so big. But William Wilberforce, uh, at one point in his life, had a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ invaded his life and changed his life, the priorities for William Wilberforce changed. And he started this mission with his life to end the slave trade in Europe. And so it's, history tells us that this fight, this war against slavery became his battle cry. It seemed unwinnable, right? It was such a daunting thing. In fact, he launched this fight against it in 1813 and was defeated eight times in presenting bills to parliament to pass against to end slavery. After 20 years, 20 years, get this, of praying and fighting, in, 19, or excuse me, in 1833, Parliament voted to end the slave trade. Ironically, they voted that you can't buy or sell slaves anymore, but it's still legal. And that didn't cut it as it shouldn't with William Wilberforce. He continued to fight, he continued to fight, he continued to try to make the wrong right. And on his deathbed, on his deathbed, he was notified that Parliament passed the Abolition of Slavery Act. Can you imagine the joy <laughs> that William Wilberforce entered eternity with? Can you imagine that? He had a change of priorities. He had a change of responsibilities. After he collided with Jesus Christ and realized what Jesus' kingdom was all about, that his kingdom not only was not just in the future, it was here and now, but his kingdom was an upside-down kingdom where the wrongs in this world were made right, where the last would become first, where those who would die to self would be the ones who would rise to life. You know, that's what he realized, and that's what became his life mission. Now, today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. I love this passage. I love this passage from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it as we kind of go throughout the sermon today. We're going to start in verse 16. You'll see it on the screens. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled, keyword, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God who made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some passages, the theme can be murky a little bit. You have to dig into it. This one's crystal clear. The theme of this passage is one word. What is that one word? It starts with an R. I said it's going to be one of our recurring themes today. It's reconciliation. Actually, it's said five different times in different ways throughout this passage. Reconciliation, reconciliation. In the original language, in the Greek that this was written, reconciliation literally means the establishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. The reestablishment 
of an interrupted or broken relationship. Let that sink in, right? The reestablishment, reconciliation, the reestablishment of a broken or interrupted relationship. See, the Apostle Paul tells us that's what happens when we become followers of Christ. What happens when we're made right with God? Well, our sins are forgiven, we're adopted into God's forever family, and our perspective changes. In other words, we start to see people completely different, just like William Wilberforce did. Now they matter. Now the atrocities of this world, now the pain of this world, we have to go on a mission to right the wrongs. That's what God's kingdom's all about. That's what Jesus' kingdom's all about. Remember last week, if you caught it, if you didn't catch it, check it out on podcast or on on YouTube or Facebook. We talked about the fact that they thought God's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom was going to be coming in and destroying the Romans when in fact he said, no, actually I'm going away. And during that time, it's your responsibility to make a difference. I'm going to give you the talents. I'm going to give you something. I want you to use it. If you don't use it, that's not good. And he said it a little more harsh than that, but I'm saying it's not good. See, when we're new creations in Christ, this passage is telling us when we're new creations in Christ, we see through a different lens. We see through the lens of possibility. We see through the lens of potential. We see that people don't have to stay the way they are and that circumstances can change. They can become different. So it leads me to our first big point of today that I'm going to kind of go through and circle back a lot today, that relationship leads to responsibility. Relationship leads to responsibility. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The word covenant, maybe you've heard the word covenant before, that God made a covenant with his people. He made it through Abraham and now it's through all of us. And now we have a new covenant for, Greeks and, or for Jews and Gentiles, for all of humanity through Jesus' death on the cross. A covenant is about a relationship. I'm not going to share all the things that that means today. That's not where I want to go. But I want you to understand that the word covenant represents the relationship. But then out of that relationship, out of that covenant relationship, you and I, if we're followers of Christ, have a responsibility. It always flows that way. Out of relationship leads to responsibility. In fact, living this responsibility brings an incredible purpose to your life. Maybe you need to screenshot that. Living this responsibility brings an incredible purpose to your life. Is there anyone out there today who's feeling like your purpose is lacking, your meaning in life is not there, it's not clear, you don't have any at the moment? The one first question you have to ask is, how are you in your relationship with Christ? Because out of relationship, out of a deep relationship, not just a head knowledge or not just I believe in God, I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Out of that then will lead to a responsibility that I'll talk about soon. Notice what it says in verse 19 and 20. It says this. It says that he, he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself. And he says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. An ambassador is a word we know in our culture today, but it was a word that they had back then, and it's very similar today. Ambassador, just like now, then, was someone who represented the king or government. They spoke on behalf of the king. They didn't speak on behalf of themselves. They spoke on behalf of someone else. You see why he chose this word ambassador? 
If we're fathers of Christ, we represent the king. We speak on his behalf. We do things on his behalf. We don't do them because we just want to do them. We do them because he's telling us what to do. And then out of obedience, we do that. The other key thing is this. If you're an ambassador, you live in a foreign region. It's a fact. Every ambassador, look at, you know, we have an ambassador to China, an ambassador to Venezuela, wherever. Every ambassador lives by nature in a foreign environment. And I think that's interesting to think about as we think about being kingdom citizens, right? That our citizenship is in heaven, right? Citizenship's in heaven, not on earth. I was really just kind of reflecting that a lot this week. I'm a resident alien, if you will, of this country, right? In the sense that this is not my forever home. I'm here, my citizenship's in heaven. I'm an ambassador though. This is foreign territory, if you will. And then my job, your job as an ambassador is to speak and act on behalf of the king. Very fascinating what he says. See, when we realize this, we realize that our responsibility is to join God in reconciling what's broken in this world, right? What's broken in this world? What are things we're to reconcile? Seeing sins forgiven, healing the broken, and loving the hurting. Seeing sins forgiven, loving the hurting, and healing the broken. In fact, when we realize what our responsibility is, this is key, we realize that we become so gripped by Jesus' death and love for us on the cross and it penetrates us to the deepest level that we can't help ourselves but partnering with God and restoring what's broken in this world. It's part of our kingdom mission. It's part of our kingdom responsibility. People sometimes ask, why do we do all the things that we do in the community? Why do we do all those things? Things, and I jotted down a few, and there's a lot I couldn't remember. (laughs) Things like trunk or treat. Two years ago, Christmas Eve, giving $12,000 between our two locations to health partners for those who have no health insurance or underinsured. 12000 last Christmas or so to Rustic Hope, who helps young mothers um, who are in pregnancy, who are scared and trying to give them the tools and things that they need. Why we have every life group that partners with a nonprofit. We filled over 100 backpacks for West Milton schools that are affected by the tornado, students affected by a tornado. Why do we keep constantly filling that food truck up that sits right outside the church? Because that's our kingdom responsibility. Through COVID, we were able to give thousands of dollars to people in need in our area and throughout the world. Uh, The Troy Backpack Program uh, that gives food for Troy Rec Backpack Program, it gets food to middle school students who otherwise might not have food over the weekend. Uh, We actually, in January and February this year, or of 2021, this coming year, are gonna be partnering again with that. Um, When it started, there were 13 backpacks going out each weekend, weekend, they're now up to 50. Why do we do all that stuff? I, I'm sure, I've, I know I missed oodles of things. We don't do it for social justice. We don't do it even for community impact. Um, and we definitely don't do it because it makes us feel good. What's our motivation for doing these things? Well, it's one simple word. It's the same motivation that hung an innocent man on a cross to bear the weight of all humanity's sin. The reason is love. When you collide with Jesus Christ, when you become a new creation, 
The old is gone. The selfishness is gone, right? We're dying to that selfishness, right? As the spirit flows and fills us. We don't want to just take oxygen out of this atmosphere. We want to see lives changed. We want to play a role in seeing what? Reconciliation. We want to see the wrongs made right. Why? It becomes our responsibility. I want us to be Jesus followers who are unleashed into a sin-addicted, hurting world, carrying with them the reconciling love and forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ. Why? It is our responsibility. It's as simple as that. It is our responsibility. Here's the beauty of it. The beauty about what God's kingdom's all about. When you discover this, out of the relationship that you have with him, you will go flying out of bed in the morning. (laughs) Life takes on such a great meaning, such a great purpose. Look at Wilberforce, right? I mean, now all of a sudden it's not just being in a prestigious position in parliament. It's not just having status and money. It's like I am making a difference. I am doing something that could change not only one person's life, but could change generation after generation after generation. That's the stuff, folks, that is exciting. When people sometimes say, well, Christianity is boring. It's like taking all the fun out of life. I'm like, not my Christianity. (laughs) And not other people who I know are doing authentic Christianity, true Jesus-following, New Testament Christianity. There is nothing boring about that. Actually, it's the most exhilarating journey I could ever imagine. Without it, life, yeah, life would be boring otherwise. You might not give, he might not give you a new career or even a new job, but you might find now that your job funds your mission. Uh, Bob Goff says that all the time for what he does in the book Love Does and Love Wins, that, or not Love Wins, but Love Does, that his job funds his mission. Maybe that's how your perspective changes today. See, God doesn't want more people just to sit in rooms, in chairs, online, on site. He doesn't want more money in a box. He doesn't want us to sing a couple songs. He doesn't want us to go grab lunch at a restaurant afterwards or be a good person all week. He's looking for people who will carry through his ministry of reconciliation, who will bring hope to the hurting. People who have a purpose that does truly make them come flying out of bed every morning. See, don't waste your life pursuing the American dream. Please don't. Please, please. The American dream, folks, is not God's dream. I'm going to say that as loud as I can. The American dream is not God's dream. Pursue God's dream. Be gripped by the resurrection. Be gripped by his love. Be gripped by how he's changed your life if you're a father of Christ. And don't settle. We have a responsibility that flows from the relationship that leads to reconciliation. There's a word in the Greek called, for time called kairos. There's chronos, which is chronological time, like stop or wristwatch time um, or cell phone time. Do we have wristwatch anymore? But then there's kairos, which is a moment in time. Now, some of you know my story some on uh, playing a role in reconciliation and out of that relationship that led to responsibility to reconciliation. I know a lot of you joining are new, and so I'm not going to go into all the details, but I'm just going to share it real quick. You know, in 2011, I was in an orphanage in Haiti shortly after the earthquake that was devastating. Many, many orphans, orphanages were filled. 
And I remember walking through the second floor and there was just tons of kids and I had one in my hand, arms and a couple hanging on my legs. And in that moment, I felt this impression. I said, God doesn't speak to me like some audible voice, but I felt this impression that I was to adopt. Now I'm single, I'm like, you know, I'm 20-something, I'm like, I don't see this in the cards, you know, kind of deal. Well, God put that on my heart, that I was to play a role in this reconciliation. And then I meet this girl and find out as we're talking at one point that God put that same thing in her heart in middle school because she listens to God a lot better than I do. And so Jess and I, uh, now it's been over two years ago, went to Bogota, Colombia. We sat in a room and these two faces that you see on the screen came waltzing in. Dylan at that time was four, Zalame was two. And now you see two years later, a family that came from the relationship of listening to God, what's God saying to me? And then knowing that there's a kingdom responsibility. And the thing I never thought in my life, wildest dreams that I would have adopt kids, have a children that didn't look like me, not the same DNA, not the same background, not, you know, I just kind of had in my mind the, the all-American family, if you will, 2.1 children, that kind of stuff. Follow what he asks us to do. You'll see some other pictures. Years ago, God planted in our heart, Jess and I's heart, to play a role in starting something new, a new churches, a passion that we have. And because of that, so many of you, uh, that passion that he put in us, that he orchestrated, that he brought to fruition, are with us today. And now we are, you know, being able to spread the gospel all around the world. We don't say that to pat ourselves on the back by any stretch of the imagination. We're as fallen and broken, I am, as anyone. But what happens is this. Out of the relationship leads to responsibility. And out of the responsibility leads to, I have to play some role in seeing reconciliation. Here's my challenge to you would be this. Would you pray this prayer more? Lord, tear me apart. Wreck me with what wrecks your heart. Lord, tear me apart. Wreck me. Wreck me with what wrecks your heart. What needs reconciliation? Keep praying that. Keep praying that. Keep praying that until he says you collide with this person who needs Jesus or these sick people or this brokenness or this sin addicted or this, this, this kind of, this, these hungry people. And when that happens, when God starts to reveal what you think he might be leading you to, reach out to me, let one of our staff know. That's one of the things we absolutely love to do. We love it when God shows someone what they're supposed to do, what their kingdom mission is what their kingdom responsibility is, and then we want to help you. Maybe it's starting a life group. Maybe it's starting another type of group. Maybe it's starting a nonprofit. I don't know. But when God plants that, that's what, to me, brings one of the greatest joys in ministry is seeing people hear and respond to what the Holy Spirit tells them to do. Your life will not get easier. God never promises that. That's not in the Bible. Anyone that says that the Bible leads to all this happiness and, and just perfectness and you know, smile on your face all the time, that's not, that's not in my Bible. It does lead to smile on the face in the sense that you have internal joy. You have internal peace. You have in, internal purpose, internal meaning. And then knowing that, yeah, it's going to be rough. <laughs> it's going to be challenging at times. It's going to be tough. Sometimes you're going to want to quit. But it's worth it because the king of all kings, the king of the kingdom, has called you and me to do it.
See, when I look at you, when I see you, even if I don't see you physically at the moment, I see a group of people with the potential to be unleashed to see God's kingdom come and his will to be done here on earth. Did you ever know that God wants to give you a life-altering purpose? He actually wants to. He wants to give you a purpose that changes your life and gives you so much meaning and so much purpose. Before we wrap up, I do want to highlight one thing that this text is so critical about too, and it's about the relationship part. Let's go back to verse 16. We'll read 16 to 19 and then verse 21. He said, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, and anytime it says therefore in the Bible, it's there for a reason. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to what? To himself through Christ, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not, get this, this is huge, not counting man's sins against them. And then we jump down to verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin, being Jesus Christ, for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is telling us that God designed a plan for you to be reconciled to him. A plan to be reconciled to him. In other words, he's letting sinners know, which we all are, Bible tells Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous. Even our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're a broken, sinful people from conception, if you will. But he says, let sinners know they can be reconciled to God. See, actually, by his nature, God is a reconciler. Actually, the Bible says that it's, it's weird. It doesn't even make sense. It says it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Okay, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. In other words, people, this reconciliation thing goes against what we think. It doesn't seem right. How can we be reconciled? He's perfect and holy. We're messed up. How does this all work? By his nature, he is. We see it throughout Scripture, the prodigal son, John 3, 16, right? That's what his nature is. Do you know that he wants to see all sinners reconciled to him? If you have not done that, he wants to see you reconciled. What's reconciled mean? We talked about that earlier, right? It's to take what's broken in relationships and make it right again. See, God is the source, this is scripture tells us, God is the source of reconciliation, who reconciled him to himself. God's the source of it. He's the holy one. God was the offended party, right? In a broken relationship, you know, and in even a human relationship, someone's usually at fault for, for causing a chasm, sometimes both of you. But in this case, God wasn't the one at fault. He's perfect and holy. We broke that. But yet he pursues us to restore and reconcile the relationship. Because he's perfect and holy, by the way, people sometimes wonder how does this work. Because he's perfect and holy, he gets to set the terms of the reconciliation. In fact, Romans 2.4 4 tells us this reconciliation is actually scandalous. It doesn't even make sense from a human nature. It says in verse 4, Or do you not show contempt for the riches? In other words, does it not mess you up? Does it not mess with your head? The riches of God's kindness, his tolerance and his patience, 
not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. God erases the record of our sin. Sometimes we wonder, well, how can God be just and the justifier? How can he do that? How can he be perfectly just and be the perfect justifier? Well, I don't have all the time to get into that, but I'm going to give you the simple answer. The reason he can be just and the justifier is because he found a substitute to make that happen. That substitute is Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, when he bore all the sin of humanity, he took the sin upon himself. For those on the cross, those days in the grave, he bore all that sin of all time so that God could reconcile us back to him as Jesus being the intermediary, if you will. I want to wrap up with a story from a book that I've been reading. Um, This book is called um, Experiencing God. It's about um, the Angola prison in Louisiana. And a new warden came in, and this new warden was a follower of Christ. And one of his first days there, he noticed that um, a guy had died on death row uh, that was executed. And he was like, you know, I... I don't know if that guy's going to heaven or not, and I have to have a bigger purpose. And it says here that the warden sensed God wanted to use him to bring hope and salvation to the prison residents. Actually, it says his church had been going through this book, and he decided to make the study available to any inmate who wanted to take a course. It was also offered to all those on death row. It said God began to transform lives through the study. Many of those awaiting execution became Christians. In fact, so many became Christians that seven different congregations were begun through the prison with inmates serving as pastors. Violence and drug use in the prison was dramatically curtailed. As inmates completed this study, they began to do other studies. Some of the men even sensed a calling to become Christian, full-time Christian ministry. Ultimately, a theological seminary began to provide training to the inmates and made the prison an official satellite campus. Some of the residents felt a call to missions. As a result, these prisoners asked to be transferred to other prisons where they began leading Bible studies and leading fellow convicts in faith to Christ. In fact, these inmates were making such a positive impact on the prison population that wardens from all across the country began asking Angola Prison to transfer some of their transformed prisoners to them. That's a guy who got it, right? A guy who realized that out of relationship leads to responsibility, and then the responsibility is to bring reconciliation to this world. Would you pray with me today? God, and as we're praying, as we're praying, as you're listening right now, what is it? Do you sense that God's telling you to do something? That he's putting something in place? That there's some wrong in this world that he's wanting you to make right? That there's something that's broken that he's wanting you? If so, let our hosts know. If so, act on that. Don't just walk out and say, well, that was great, and go have lunch today. For others of you, you never have been reconciled back to God. God's extended the invitation. God's done all the work, frankly. Jesus Christ died on the cross as a substitute for the sin, for the death that you and I deserve for our sin. Would you be willing? Are you ready to accept the invitation of reconciliation today? Are you ready to accept the invitation 
to be made right with God through Jesus Christ? If so, repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, ask for a cleansing to come over you, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't walk out of today without making some type of decision. Father, we thank you for your word, Dad. Father, we thank you for this series on your kingdom. God, I pray that it changes how we pray. It changes how we see our activity in this world. It changes how we see our responsibility. And God, we thank you for what you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.